Learn from stars and heroes of the Dubai business world. Welcome to the Dubai Business Podcast, produced by Jayid. Now, here's your host, Lucas Krejci. 70% of teens trust influencers more than traditional celebrities. 40% of them say their favorite YouTuber understands them better than their own friends. And 86% of women use social media for purchasing advice. These are just some of the numbers proving that influencer marketing is no more just a buzzword. It is one of the marketing tactics that should not be missed in your marketing mix. However, as with every trendy thing, there are so many misconceptions and scams around it that you need to be cautious. That's why we are speaking today with one of the biggest experts in the UAE when it comes to influencer marketing. Feras Arafe founded Influencers.ae back in 2015 and he is also founder of Xpin.com, influencer barter platform that already helped more than 350 brands connecting with their influencers. Feras, thank you very much for joining Dubai Business Podcast. Glad to have you here. Thank you for having me. You're obviously one of the biggest experts in the market when it comes to influencers marketing since you've been around uh, this area since 2015 where probably the first influencers start raising up. Uh, let's probably start, let's define influencers marketing. What does it mean today? Because it's a huge buzzword. Everyone wants to be influencer or everyone wants to get influencers. So how can we define right, influencers right. influencer marketing today? So, Great question. So the way I would define influencer marketing today is um, it's the enjoyment of discovery, right? So it's not necessarily only the person, it's what they have to say and what about a new product that they discovered or a new restaurant or a new uh, experience or a new life hack or whatever it is. So the more enjoyable the content of discovery that they put out, the more followers they're getting. And that is where... Um, marketeers have sought an opportunity in working with influencers uh, because they already have the the attention through the art of discovery to uh, push out uh, some of their brand messaging now the really good influencers would only accept um, to do marketing for things they a believed in and b that actually worked and c resonated with their content and their lifestyle um, so this is where the authentic influencer marketing is done. Um, yeah. And that's how I would define the authentic influencer marketing. It's the, the art of discovery. People follow others to learn about new things or a new way or of doing things or new places that exist in the market. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that's a nice, I would say maybe book definition or Wikipedia definition. Now, if you try to be practical, is influencer marketing basically every post I agree with someone they will post on, uh, on their Instagram or uh, what all I can consider as influencer marketing nowadays? Influencer marketing, the way you would, you would look at it is, um, you know, if, if you had a great product or a great service and you're like, if only people knew about this, they would come. Influencer marketing just speeds up your word of mouth advertising. So instead of waiting for organic growth, the use of the effective influencers to spread the right content to the right audience would simply take what you would do in three years and bring it down to 12 to 18 months. So that's what we believe 
the correct way of doing influencer marketing helps out. Mm-hmm. Okay, we'll get probably to some principles of it and how to do it, uh, how to do it in the right way. Let's probably start with what type of businesses can actually benefit from uh, influencer marketing. Correct. So I think predominantly B 2 C businesses, not B 2 B. Well, at least in my experience, I haven't been able to crack the B 2 B market. It's been the B 2 C. So we're talking FMCG, hospitality, tourism. We're talking. Um, a lot of mobile apps have been able to benefit from YouTubers, for instance, um, gaming. So anything that is directly meant for the consumers can be packaged in such a way where influencers can become beneficial to it. Uh, obviously, uh, no amount of good advertising can move a bad product. It's not like a magic wand. Um, and they say, oh, well, he's an influencer. He's supposed to be influencing people. That's not how it works. He's not a magician. He will send the message of what your core offering is. And if your core offering is not that interesting or doesn't solve a significant problem, then in that case, it's, it's not uh, fair to ex- expect the influencer to have a magic wand and, 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 and change that. So the product comes first. The quality of the content, the quality of the messaging, how conversational it is, how easy it is to consume by the audience comes second. And the last bit is the influencer. The influencer is the sort of the glue that brings it all together, that connects the key message, the key offering with their audience, and hopefully that draws some conversions uh, for them. Are you looking for learning something new while working from home? Sign up to one of our digital marketing workshops. In a few days, you can learn how to launch Facebook and Instagram ads or how to advertise your business in Google search. Head to jai.co to find out more. You're listening to the Dubai Business Podcast, produced by Jayid. And I'm really glad you're mentioning this because I feel very often businesses uh, kind of tend to forget about this and be it when, well, let's say Facebook advertising became trendy, they thought that, okay, I will just run Facebook ads and no matter how bad, how bad product I have, you know, I, because Facebook ads are working, so it will work. Now it's influencer marketing is trendy, so no matter how bad my product is, if other people will be speaking about it, it will work. But it's not really the case, right? Absolutely, absolutely. So to, to touch point on that is um, when we say it's working, we need to define what it means to be working. Does it mean that you got an extra X amount of likes? Is that what, what you define as, as working? Or does it mean that I've driven 25 sales or whatever the case may be. So the metrics need to be very realistic. Now I find that sometimes uh, there's an unreasonable request that influencers are meant to drive sales, which is not true at all. Uh, if, If anybody would be able to drive sales, Facebook and Google would but they sell impressions. They don't sell sales. They sell mm-hmm. impressions. They calculate the cost of sale for you. But ultimately, at the end of it, they only sell you impressions. So if we're going to compare apples with apples, we're going to compare what does a sponsored ad give me versus what does an influencer, a real influencer, provide me with. Now, given influencer marketing is almost like a landmine field, right? So it's very easy to pick up the wrong influencer, to do the wrong uh, content, to post on the wrong day, to, to not do a follow-up thing. So all of these things can be mistakes that could have avoided maximizing the ROI that I've seen time and time again um, with merchants not being able to, to, to. or most common uh, mistake that I've seen 
and brands doing is they uh, they try to ask too much so they turn the influencer unfortunately into almost like a carpet salesman that's just trying to push content push content so it does it it loses the authenticity of a mother trying to say why this product meant what what it meant for her it became like oh tell us about you know how green forest we are and how eco-friendly we are and how the customer service is excellent yeah. that doesn't matter what matters is how it affected her life and that is influencer marketing so let the content creators create content and let them just work within the framework of what works for you okay uh first you touch on so many so many great things so let's <laughs> dig into it uh one by one sure first of all uh you mentioned we shouldn't expect kind of from influencers to drive the direct conversions what's the role yes. of influencer marketing in the marketing funnel usually or in a marketing plan uh, where should i Ex put it? excellent question excellent question Today, influencer marketing, and I think this is the closest uh, probable analogy I was able to come up with, is, is uh, the closest thing I could compare to what radio was 15 years ago. Now, 15 years ago, it was common practice that you would never book a radio to play a single time on Monday morning and that's it, and then expect to see results. Radio people will always tell you, you need to have... 20, 30 repetition for two, three months, and then you're going to start seeing results uh, uh, happening. Influencer marketing is that today. It's You're going to need to get into sub-community groups, the mothers, the Arabs, the Westerners, the Europeans, the fitness people, the fashion people, and then get that message across where it resonates. And then after two, three months, this is when it's going to start. So I always ask my clients, when is the last time, how long have you been using uh, Instagram, they'll say three, four, five years, whatever. I said, in the five years, have you ever seen an ad or an influencer mention a product that you've never been looking for and immediately stopped and go purchase that product? They say, no, of course not, right? So how is it that something you've never done in five years you expect them to do? So what we say is, I will tell you about this new sushi restaurant and you will start hearing about it from one influencer after another, after another. And then when there's an opportunity, you have free time, and there's a will, you feel like sushi, the first place that comes to mind is that place that everybody's been talking about. That is influencer marketing. Now, it is impossible, not difficult, it is impossible to track that you went to that restaurant based on these five or six or seven influencers that you've seen, but you did hear about it from them. So this is where we don't believe in, um, in doing one-to-one um, -one influencers. So mm -hmm. common, oftentimes merchants say, can we give influencers a unique code? And whoever uses that code, it doesn't, it doesn't work. We tried with a hundred influencers and each one had its code. Nobody would remember the code. However, we redid the exact same exercise and we had all 100 influencers use the same code, which was XPIN20. That XPIN20 started going viral where everybody was using it with their friends and uh, people were starting to redeem this code. And this is where you know that not only did we reach the, the audience, potential customers, we also reached their friends with this particular code. Okay, so uh, are we maybe over-engineering it as, uh, as marketers that we want to approach it the same way we are approaching the performance marketing channels such as Google Ads or Facebook Ads and we're trying to measure 
the performance of every single influencer and its impact on on our conversions? Yes, yes, absolutely. I haven't seen. I mean, unless you're talking about celebrity endorsement, when you have somebody like Mulder Rose, Mulder Rose will post something tomorrow, the product will go out of stock. But that is, there are few cases where it's it's you're in the celebrity zone. You're not in. The, she's not an influencer anymore. She's She's a, she's a model right now. Okay. So whenever she posts something, she will drive revenue. We're talking about influencer marketing that you can do on a regular basis because you're not going to spend $25,000 every, every month or something. What can you do as an always-on campaign so that you're appearing in smaller sub-community groups that are locally relevant to you? That is influencer marketing, not celebrity endorsement. Mm -hmm. Okay. And uh, from what you're saying and what I've uh, experienced with the old platform as well is that rather than booking one influencer, the, uh, like the effect of mo uh, booking multiple influencers at the same time for the same campaign, basically it means I will multiply mm -hmm. the effect, right? Not that it will be one plus one plus one, but it will be multiplying exactly. the effect. Exactly. Exactly. So if we look at the... the, the um, the marketing funnel we start by the awareness and everybody said oh no no we don't want to do awareness we just want to go straight into conversion that's what everybody wants to do but we do awareness because people don't buy immediately until they find out about the brand then they consider the brand then they opt in to purchase the product so the the awareness part is where if you do one influencer a month it's not enough repetition to to stick in people's uh, minds when you do it significantly enough to be memorable this is where it becomes i'll give you an example of a brunch right so people go there the food is fantastic and then they say it's only 99 dirhams like the offer is phenomenal until the end of the month when you feel like a brunch probably if the place is nice the price is nice chances are you're more likely to go there right um, the exact same thing happens but if one influencer went I don't even think you'll remember it. Yeah. Our attention spam is so small that we're just flipping, flipping, flipping. So in that flip, you need to come back time and time again. This is why we also tell our merchants, don't engage with an influencer one time. Do remarketing with influencers. So the ones that got you the best impressions, the best swipe ups, the best sticker taps, bring them again. Create that bond between you and the influencer and build that relationship. They'll love it. They'll love you. And those are the ones that are going to drive you business ultimately. Yeah, I think you're touching on, on the right point that uh, still as a marketers, very often we feel that, uh, okay, I will show the ad, user will go and buy, uh, or that there needs to be two three, two, three touch points, right? But we know from and researches are very clear about this, that nowadays we need 40, 50 touch points. And the more expensive the product 100%. is, the more touch points we need, uh, we need with the brand. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's not a spur of the moment sort of purchase to be able to say, hey, I'm just going to grab a burger. And the more expensive the product is, the more they need to have an online presence as well as an offline. So I'll take an example. When Dyson came out, they use, um, they use a lot of uh, on the road, but they also went massive with influencers. So when you were driving to work, you saw their, 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 their ads on the highway. Yeah. But also when you were on Instagram, you also saw your ads. So the more, the more expensive the product is, the more you need to be uh, visible on both channels, online and offline. 
Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, first, you were mentioning few kind of best practices or mistakes which uh, which were happening. Uh, first thing I noted yeah. down was that you mentioned for a second time kind of the follow up or remarketing with the with the influencer. Uh, let's dig Correct. deeper into that. What do you mean by that? So what we've done as XPIN is we've created a, uh, a mobile app where you can work on, on with influencers on barter. So by, by being able to do barter or inviting influencers on your own, uh, you can get how many uh, reach and impression or story views they got. And then you'll be able to tell that this one got me a lot of new followers, got me a lot of people asking me about reservation, or I got more engagement from that person. My recommendation is these influencers that you re-engage with them within one week to 10 day stops. So that creates that brand. Oh, this is the influencer I'm following that they're going again to that place. So if they do two or three times, um, carrying the same message, it creates an authentic message because the message is the same and it's the same influencer with the same brand. So then the credibility goes from, uh, it's just another ad to, oh, they must really like it, or it's really fun, or re it's something they really genuinely believe in. It's okay to do ads. It's okay even if they got paid. It doesn't matter. What matters is, does it really um, fit the purpose and intents it was served for? That is what matters. So if I'm just giving you an example, she found a new vacuum that is just amazing and, and, and a better tool than the, the regular vacuum and she really believes in it. That is where um, I believe in multi working with the same influencers because it's the same message, same product, it's authentic. She's just passing on the message to her audience. Uh, this is one thing. Another thing is, um, I, I mean, it's been said time and time again, give creative freedom to the influencer to do the review the way they feel they should do the review. Uh, as authentically as possible. And the third thing I would say is um, the content is king. I mean, they will try to uh, say, can you post this? Can you post that? Can you talk about this? Can you talk about that? I think there should be a, a strong call to action. A lot of times people uh, forget about the call to action, like swipe up link or give us a review or download or try, try us for free. That call to action is what makes the difference between an ad and intelligent marketing that tells users, okay, here's the next step. Try it out. You have nothing to lose. Yeah, kind of leading the user towards the action. Exactly. A lot of times the, the influencers, oh, we just want them to mention this feature. But what do you want people to do? Where do you want them to, where can I purchase it? If I'm a user, how can I purchase this product? What is the guarantee on it? What, I mean, these are all important things. So you've done the hard work, but the last bit, which is what we call closing the sale, you're not asking for the sale. Hence, you're not getting the sale. And then it's not the influencer's fault. It's because the marketing funnel wasn't done correctly till the end. Hmm. But we were at the beginning, we were saying that uh, probably expecting conversions, it's not uh correct or fair expectations from it but at the same time you're expecting saying expecting it mm -hmm. expecting it it's not we don't expect it but it doesn't make sense not to tell them to lead to the website because at least if you let people to the website or to the to the place where they can purchase at the very least you start getting that engagement you start seeing okay it's I, another touch point on the journey exactly it's another touch point so if i talk about the vacuum i love this vacuum it's really great 
but then I don't tell people where you could get the vacuum or where I could find the vacuum. So that bit of information goes like, okay, just another thing. It goes in the back of your mind. But if I'm giving you, I might feed your curiosity, even 0.1% to go check out and learn more. So that there, the website, the landing page will start acting like the salesperson who's trying to sell that vacuum. Got it, got it. Another important thing, uh, you've already mentioned a bit, but I feel we need to get uh, way more sure. closer to it, is how to choose the relevant influence, because I believe this is the Very key, right? Many brands think that, oh, yeah. but everyone is my audience, so I want everyone to post about my brand. Yeah, yeah, this is, even Coca-Cola, that is a brand for everyone, realize that they can't do marketing for everyone. So no matter how big the brand is or how, you know, uh, if you're a human and you breathe oxygen, then you could be a client. This is not the way to do segment. We need to segment a little bit more than that. So I would say the brand needs to, to, to develop a brand strategy. Why are we getting to this audience? What, what is it more likely about this audience to convert? So this is where we go into the graph with the early birds, early adopters, and get those people to get started with. How do we get to those people? Um, what is their age? What is their persona? And then based on that, we build a strategy. So we need to target fashionistas because that's where we're going after. And a lot of times, the, the biggest mistake and myth is, I have a restaurant, let me get a foodie. That is not true at all. As a matter of fact, you get fashionista because fashion is, oh, these are, these are fashionable people. When they go to a restaurant, that means this restaurant must be trendy, must be cool. So foodies are excellent in food content quality, mm -hmm. but it doesn't mean that they drive revenue. But if all the trendy, you know, fashionistas are all going to this new sushi place, then they're more likely to make it a trendy. So the connection between what the influencer does and what you do is not necessarily as obvious as you might think. So um, that's one thing. And another thing what we found is um, when you, when you, when you, um, sorry, remind me the question again. <laughs> I was speaking about how to find the right influencer or the influencer who is relevant yes, for yes, my yes, brand. Yes, 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 yes. For the, for we, we found that everything can be faked, right? That's a big topic right now. You can buy fake followers, fake likes, fake comments. There are two things that are very difficult, if not impossible to fake, is where the followers are from. So then establishing a relevant locality and how many story views you get. The story views, in my opinion, are your form of true engagement. When you get to understand I have 70% Dubai followers, and from them, I have 2,000 people watching my stories. This is your true engagement. This is where you're most likely to drive. And then the second layer would be added, the gender and the age split. When you have all that information, then you can be a lot more selective on what kind of influencers you should be approaching. But never, ever, ever rely on the number of followers. It is the biggest misconception. I have it without shadow of doubt that my influencers between 15,000 and 50,000 outperform my influencers of 100 to 200,000 in terms of sales growth. Okay. Not in terms of awareness, in terms of sales growth. So how this sounds contradicting, but it's not. It's 
When I get calls from merchants saying, hey, this small influencer, we got this much revenue, we got this many bookings from her, that's accidental. It's not, it's not that she was able to do it on her own. This is something that micro-influencers are a lot faster in reaching to a believable message than somebody with two, three, four hundred thousand followers. <laughs> I think let's pause here and we need to we need to repeat it. We need to highlight this again uh, for the business owners yes. or marketers listening to this. Yes. Don't look at the numbers of followers uh, because it doesn't <coughs> Absolutely. really mean anything. Right? Absolutely. I mean, I've had situations where I had an influencer with 150,000 followers and her story views were 200 story views. Mm. And if you didn't have access to her story views, you would look at her profile. It had tons of likes and comments and everything, but her story views were 200. Then you have another one, 10,000 followers. She had 6,000 story views on her stories. So right then and there, you're not comparing apples with apples. You got to compare 200 with 6,000. And that is the true engagement. And I think no matter how much I repeat this, people still say, oh, but I don't want somebody under 20,000. I say, okay, we're, we're going to scrap that business. Let's focus on just getting you, you know, awareness or the numbers. There is a certain pride when somebody with half a million is talking about my, my business and I repost it on my channel. There is that sense of pride that, look, I, these are the influencers that are talking about the brand. But it, it doesn't, that's all it does. It doesn't necessarily drive revenue. So what I recommend is always go on the pyramid scheme. Pyramid scheme is where you get the big ones, a few of the middle ones, and a lot of the small ones. These ones will create more content, will drive more results, Mm -hmm. But the big ones will establish a real credibility, like I, I have this influencer of a million. That's only if uh, the, 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 the funds are available to establish that big one. Okay. And, yeah. So the pyramid scheme, that makes a lot of sense. Well, and what if I'm not working with Xpin, with your platform? Is there a way from outside yeah. how I can find uh, that this influencer is legit or relevant to me or that his numbers are... I mean, the, there's, a, there's a lot of tools, but these tools um, base their calculations on, on estimation. So they take a sample of the public account. So ever since the, the Cambridge scandal, Facebook closed all their API endpoints. So anybody who's claiming to have real authentic data, it's not true. Ask them, they'll tell you they take a sample of the population and the sample can only be public accounts. So let's say if an influencer has 100,000 followers, of these 100,000, only 30,000 are public accounts, 70,000 are private accounts they can only monitor a portion of the 30,000 public accounts and then build a model on what, replica, what would be most likely to be the, 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 the gender demographics, yeah. the audience demographics of the entire thing. Um, is it accurate? No. Um, is it probable? A little bit. Um, and another thing is what fake bots and followers were four years ago is not what they are today. Four years ago, you would have somebody with zero followers, no mm -hmm. profile picture, and he's following 10,000 people. So it was a, a blatant thing. Now there are all these apps where you follow me, I follow you, you like my posts, I like your posts, etc. So I would say don't dig too deep into the likes and comments and everything. Just look at what kind of content they're getting. Sometimes they post questions. How many answers are they getting? 
that gives you the authentic real engagement with people if you're not using XPIN to, to get this data. Um, but these tools give you an indication, but not a, a, a definitive answer whether uh, this influence is correct or not. Yeah, got it. That sounds like uh, another big reason to work with a platform like XPIN rather than trying to contact the influencers on my own and do it on my own because it's very easy to kind of burn my hands uh, this way and I will probably spend Absolutely. way more time like researching who's legit, who's not legit, who has fake followers, who's not, rather than working with you. Exactly. And you probably did this homework on your site already. I mean, we did the homework. We we approve only twenty uh, percent of the applicants, so eighty percent of the influencers don't get through because of reasons of other internal tools that we've built to sort of give us an indication of the probability that these followers are not engaged or not good enough. So, uh, hence we remove them. Um, but again, ultimately, what 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 it leads to is. Do not stick to one brand ambassador. That's like one of the worst things that, oh, we're going to find two or three influencers. We're going to do something with them all year round. You've already gotten your message across to their followers. Whoever is going to convert has already converted. So by month two or three, this is all a waste of time postword. So you always want to be targeting sub-community groups and targeting them with different messages, different campaigns, but ultimately the same sort of company value and mission statement that is being set out to the public. Mm -hmm. It's a uh, location is one more thing to consider when choosing the influencer, because I guess that's kind of a special thing about, uh, about Dubai, that even if the influencer is based here, uh, majority of his or her followers might be from let's say the country we are from or uh, from totally different As a region. matter of fact, this is, this is one when I told you we have ways of determining somebody if they have fake followers or not. So if somebody is European or Arab national and then he came here a couple of years ago and we look at their audience insights and number one is UAE, this is where it's, it's a, actually a red flag. Uh, it, it wouldn't make sense. So I have a Jordanian influencer. Her number one followers are Jordan. And then number two or three is UAE. That tells me that the Jordanian community in the UAE follows her. That is a lot more likely to be believable than somebody who spent two years in the UAE and all their followers are in the UAE. That doesn't make any sense. So what you're looking for is somebody, unless they're very small, unless I'm talking 3,000 or 5,000, those are nano influencers, then yes, I could accept that the number one is UAE if they're living here all their life. But I'm talking 50,000, 100,000, then you definitely need to make sure that uh, uh, the number one is not the UAE. And if it is the UAE, then there's a question mark there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because even like the market here is not that big to fill. Um, exactly, exactly, right. exactly, exactly. If it was Saudi, it would be different, right? It's such a big market. It's they're very there's a very big uh, uh, social media penetration where. They're, they're all following. So it's normal to see 70, 80% followers in, in uh, Saudi Arabia, but the UAE, not so much. Mm -hmm. uh, first on your platform, XPIN, you guys have uh, over 350 clients, brands uh, working with influencers. So can we split it in what are the verticals? What are the industries now getting benefits from your platform? Yeah. Yeah, so we have a lot of hotels, we have restaurants, we have activities, so entertainment like Jumble, Tap Factor, X-Strike. Um, we're starting to onboard a lot of applications. So we have Swan app, we have uh, uh, o4.com. Uh, so 
Um, we're in talks with a lot of uh, more e-commerces, um, Talabat, these guys. Um, but the predominant factor, I think it's clinics, beauty clinics, salons, restaurants. These ones are really, really prevalent. And I think the biggest benefactors of influencer marketing to a certain extent is um, cloud kitchens. Mm-hmm. Cloud kitchens benefit a lot because they're very limited in, in, in what they can do in the first place. Um, so this is where we come in and help uh, tremendously. And now we're getting into also products. So if you have a skin hair, uh, skincare product, hair products, um, we can send PR packages to the influencers. They review them and post about them to their followers. So it's really a mix and match as long as it fits within the B2C uh, framework uh, that works. Sounds like uh, mainly women-oriented products or brands are nowadays benefiting from the influencer marketing. Why is it that men are maybe less uh, responsive to this type of content? Uh, no, we have, uh, I think, 25% of our influencers are men. So uh, we have a few barbershops. Um, no, I mean, we do have men. That's not... Uh, Uh, necessarily accurate but there are definitely more women influencers out there than there are uh, but but we do have 25% uh, are men okay okay fair enough uh, one challenging question in the end uh, at the start sure. you mentioned that uh, you haven't seen really big success so with the b2b types of campaigns uh, yes what are we what are we missing to make influencer work for b2b or what b2b businesses can can do to make it work I think I think uh, Instagram in it, in it inherently is a, is a, is a, is an entertainment platform, right? So you sit on it, you chill, you watch things you want to watch to to relax. So um, I business to business, I just don't know how we can have somebody talk about oil and gas and become an influencer and and be entertaining at the same time that I would electively choose to follow him or somebody who's going to talk about finance. So. Uh, an influencer uh, in finance could be the CFO of Nestle, for instance, right? So yeah. I don't think that person is going to be receiving funds to do advertising. This guy will go in talks and he will state his opinion and walk away. But he's not necessarily going to be engaged by other brands to, to you know, say certain things that may or may not fit what he believes in. So a B2B is really a lot more of a, of a complex game. Uh, some uh, influencer camp- companies have tried to crack it in LinkedIn. I haven't seen any evidence of this working as of yet. So, um, so to this point, I just believe that ma- mass consumer uh, uh, markets are a lot more likely uh, to be effective in the influencer space than they are in the B2B space. Yeah, I agree. And uh, again, it's probably about realizing who my customer is or who my audience is and not necessarily jumping on influencer marketing ship just because it's trendy, trendy thing. And I've Absolutely. read that it's a marketing tactic for 2020, right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, and, and it's a very dangerous thing to just read online uh, that influencer marketing works and and expect. this is where I think this is where people expect too much is I'm going to send the product and then I'm expecting to see sales. It doesn't work. Don't even try. Keep it for yourself. Um, when you're ready to engage in a long-term multi-influencer uh, work, this is where I think influencer marketing could work for you. And then again, it, it'll depend on your experience. It'll depend on uh, what it is you have to offer and, and the message out there. 
Got it. All right. First, uh, let's at the end, let's summarize it, what we were saying. I'm a small business owner. Now I know only B2C, so I'm a small business owner. What do I do to start with influencer marketing and to make sure I do it right? Um, so the first thing you would need to, to determine is what is your core product and what, if I was to ask you what makes you special versus the, your competitor, whatever song you would sing, this is your USB. It's not like, I'm, I'm, I keep going back to restaurants, but this is just because it's an easier example. Don't tell me the food is good. Tell me something a little bit more. I mean, everybody's going to say their food is good. Everybody's going to say, uh, oh, we, may, we prepare the food fresh. I mean, I, I know you're, I'm not expecting you to prepare microwave food, you know? So we understand that. So go a step beyond on what really, really, what is your, your secret recipe? What's your sauce? What, what differentiates you? And then build that. Who would care about that? Who is your ultimate target audience? And then find influencers that a little bit are closer or their follower base are built around uh, users who could be interested in this. Okay. And don't try to, to target people on their ability to pay. There's no platform on the planet that's able to tell you, oh, these are people who can afford it and these are people who can't afford it. It, it just doesn't work. Um, focus on getting the message out there and then word of mouth will take its toll. Perfect. I think that's a nice way how to end it. Faras, thank you very much for all the tips and My sharing pleasure. it with us. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. This was the Dubai Business Podcast produced by Jayid. Follow us on your favorite podcast platform and on social media at jayid.co slash podcast. That's J-A-Y-I-D dot co slash podcast.